Hello and welcome to Delving the Draft. My name is Craig and I'm one of your hosts. Joining me this week is... Steve! This is episode 7. Now let's quickly do a round of how to get in touch with us. The main protocol, as always, is delvingtodraft.tumblr.com. We're also on Facebook as Delving Into Draft. Our email is also delvingtodraft at gmail.com. Do you see a theme? And personally, I'm on Twitter as ravak underscore. That's R-A-V-A-K underscore. Right, jumping into the news, um, Grand Prix Lisbon was last weekend. Uh, it was a sealed slash draft for Return to Ravnica, and the winner was Ivan Floch, I believe was the correct pronunciation. Sounds so, right, buddy. So congrats to him. Um, going on right now, because we're recording on Saturday, uh, are two Grand Prix. The first one is Nagoya, which is in Japan, and the format of that is standard. And then there's also one going on in Toronto, which is in Canada, and that format is modern. And obviously, saying we're in Saturday... No idea who the winner is. So we'll get back to you next show. Moving on, um, Dragon Maze PTQs on Magic Online, the dates have been announced. There is an article on the website for it. They're starting on the 23rd of December, running all the way to the 17th of March, next year obviously. Uh, Most of them are modern constructed. There's a three Return to Ravnica sealed decks and the final one is Gatecrash sealed. There also happens to be one running on Christmas. So, if, Yes. Uh, so <laughs> on the 25th of December 2012 at 7pm uh, UTC there's going to be a PTQ. There's also one on New Year's Day as well. Oh, I don't know if that's how I spend Christmas. I mean, <laughs> I mean, if you've got nothing better to do, if you can't be with family and you still want the warm feeling of being part of the community, or maybe just the warm feeling of getting to go to uh, Pro Tour Dragon Maze, which I can't actually remember where it is. Uh, I don't actually know, Craig. I don't think I've ever known. Uh, <laughs> I've forgotten. I just did not know. I want to say it's in Asia, but I've totally forgotten. Nah, it's gone. I can't remember. That's okay. I forgive you. It'll be somewhere. People can yeah. pick it up if they really care. It's 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 going to be a while away, you know. Maybe it's like in the middle of the maze, and we have to find it. The prize in the middle of Dragon's Maze is the Pro Tour. Yeah, you just have to get there. It's a mystery how you get there, buddy. That seems that seems reasonable. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> sort of thing I would do. Yeah. <laughs> right, <laughs> moving on. Um. Jewel of Planeswalkers 2013, if you haven't heard of it before, you should totally check it out, because it's a great, even if you are a veteran player, it's just a fun uh, digital version of the game to play with. Uh, the second deck pack has been released, so there is now a Gruul deck and a Norzov deck, named Berserker Rage and Grim Procession, respectively. It should be out on every platform it's available. It costs £2 on iTunes, PSN, and Steam. It's 240 MSP, that's Microsoft points, on the Xbox 360, and it's convert the currency into your local currency if you're not happy to be in Britain. So, yeah. Yeah. Right. News done. Moving on to our first regular feature. Name that card. Name yeah. that card. Now we don't have a jingle for it yet. Oh. I may. I may have to sort out one for uh, next week. But <laughs> um, nobody sent us in a jingle, so you know. And I, I, I was just too lazy to do it this week. So, anyways. Um, now, if you remember back episode. Four, you agreed that this was best five out of nine. Ah, oh, see, I've been thinking about that, Craig. Have I you think now? Maybe best going like best seven out of thirteen. Thirteen, yeah, maybe best. <laughs> okay. Now last or week, maybe I... just, 
Maybe we'll just see who's got the highest score at the end of the year. <laughs> the, the the year doesn't have long to go. I know, I know. Okay, um, we'll work it out when we get to the end. I'm trying uh, to give myself a chance here. I didn't count on you having a photographic memory <laughs> of cards. True. Um, now, last week, I actually got it wrong what the standings were. I said it was 4-1 last week, but actually it was 3-1 last week. It's 4-1 oh. this week. That's not so bad. It's four. It's, yeah, you haven't. Otherwise, you'd have lost last week. But no, it's it's four one this week. At the end, it'll probably be five one. And uh, <laughs> oh, you think so? You think so? I think so. Um, would you like to start, or shall I begin? I, I would like for you to begin today, Craig. Okay. Um, which part of the card would you like me to start with? I'll be I'll be nice. Uh, the name. Yeah, no, that's not happening. <laughs> nice try. Uh, okay, I would like the predominant colour in the picture. Okay, uh, let me get this in good lighting. The predominant colour is blue in the picture. Right. Mm. Okay, you're going to have to give me more. Okay, <laughs> the card itself is also blue. Nice. Doesn't really help, does it? Mm, no. Uh, I can't really go... For a random stab. What's, how many blue cards are there in the set? Uh, mo- mono blue <laughs> or including multicolored? Mono blue. Uh, quickly type in. There's 28 blue cards. Mm. One in 28 shot. No, no, I think I'll, I'll get another clue out of you, please, Craig. Okay. I'm not going to. Sh- am I giving this away? Possibly. And now that I'm looking at all the cards, I can see what, what the most giving away sort of features of this car does. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, okay, let's do flavour text. Why not? Flavour text is always... Oh, no, wait. No, flavour text doesn't work. Okay. It is a 2-2. Let's just go with that. It's a 2-2. It's a 2-2. It is a 2-2. Oh, tells you it's a creature. I, I think... I think... Can I, can I guess at the casting cost? You can. Is it converted mana cost 4? It is converted mana cost 4. <laughs> is it Runewing by any chance? It is Runewing. <laughs> yes! Yes! Do you know how I got that one, Craig? Is it sitting in front of you? No, well, partly. Okay. I was going to talk about it er- earlier, but uh, also because you showed me a photo of your microphone earlier before we started. Oh, I did, and Runewing was on the top. I photo of your, your microphone was a, was a Runewing. It was, that's exactly where I grabbed it from as well. Oh. <laughs> uh, uh, yes! Ah, oh, dear. <laughs> I mean, it wasn't, a, like, I thought the flavour text was fine, but the flavour text actually says Runewing in it. Ah, uh, I see. And then, let's see, there's, there's only one bird in blue. <laughs> There's only two two twos in blue, and yeah, it was just uh, I just I, I cornered myself in that one. Well, well, let's see, let's see if you can how how you get on with this one, Craig. I've got one for you. Okay, dokes. Okay, so Ravnica the card, and it is also a two two. I mean, I could have a stab, but I'll let you go on. Would you like more? It says uncommon. So I'm thinking one of the guild mages. This is my first thought. Because mm. um, they're all 2-2 and uncommon, but... I don't know if I can think of any more. Okay. And, I, I, and even if I take a stab now, it's 1-5. So you, you may continue. Okay, okay. So we have 
Hybrid mana cost. Oh, okay. So there's there's 15 hybrid cards. Uh, there's only five which are uncommon. Hmm. Hmm. Oh, <laughs> oh. No, wait. That's no, that's not uncommon, is it? No, is it? I don't know. No, wait. No. Okay. I, for a brief, I, this is not my guess. For a brief moment, I was thinking Vassal Soul, but I was being silly. Hmm. Hmm. Uh, uh, I can't think. Um. Oh, you're, no, I think you're, you're, you're going to have to give me more. Creature type is Elf Wizard. It's Selesnian. I would get... Oh, wait. Uh, oh, dear. <laughs> no, I'm not, I'm not going any further. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to work this out. I don't care how long it takes. Oh, okay. I don't even think of the five uncommon cards. It's, it's not Judge's Familiar. It's not... Rakdos Cackler, that leaves me with, is it, is it one, it doesn't matter, it's not, it's not me, is it one, it's the Golgari one, or the Selesnian one, I swear Selesnia's a uh, spell, non-creature spell, which means it's the Golgari one, uh, Elf, Wizards, Golgari, no it's not Golgari. Because that's uh, Golgari's the silverhead and um, long legs. Actually, give me oh God, give me another clue. Oh okay. My God. Oh it, my God. The uh, oh God. What did it, right, it's got. Uh, hmm. Hmm. Where do we go from here, Craig? Is the flavor uh, text. The yeah, it doesn't have flavor text. Oh, okay. Uh, it has got two abilities in its text box. The first one is pay three and one green and put a one one green sapling token creature into play. What? <laughs> this is hybrid, not multicolor. Yes, it's hybrid. <laughs> Do you give up, Craig? <laughs> I give up. What the hell is this card? Silesnia <laughs> Guildmage from Ravnica. Like I said. Rav <laughs> Yes. You said Ravnica. <laughs> yeah, I said, I said this card's from Ravnica and it's got a hybrid monocost. You are tricking me, sir. <laughs> oh, I needed to get points somehow. You tricked me. <laughs> For a brief moment, I was thinking, when he said Ravnica, he didn't mean original Ravnica. No, he wouldn't have done that. <laughs> Congratulations, sir. Yo, you you get a point. Bazinga, indeed. <laughs> A point. Oh man, I didn't actually count on getting your guessing your card right. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, congratulations! It, it, it is four two. There, there's everything left to play for. No more Mister Nice Guy on this side of the mic. So. <laughs> just letting you know, next week just expect something completely wild and crazy. Let's do it. It's on. It's on. <laughs> okay, uh, now that that's over, uh, let's move into our personal topics. Would you like to start, or shall I start? Uh, yeah, I'm happy enough to start, Greg. Okay. Uh, what I was want to talk about this week was basically running drafts from your house, or like from your wherever it is you play magic with your friends. And the reason I was thinking this is it's something that we've done for a long time, uh, basically because of where we live, we're kind of remote. Uh, like our nearest shop 
is probably about 20 miles away or something like that. And it's a bit awkward to, to get to it. Yeah. So, like, our, our group of friends would always get together and just play amongst ourselves. And it wasn't until we were quite far on uh, into the game of Magic, like, actually, the amount of time we spent playing it, that we realised we could draft at home without spending a fortune. Basically, all you need to draft are people and a box full of land and a booster box. That you're thinking, well, hold on, a booster box costs like nearly a hundred bucks or a hundred pounds. But I mean, if you look around, look around on like eBay and I'll just hunt about on the internet, you can get them pretty cheap. You know, some it's usually about eighty eighty pounds or uh, somewhere between 80 and 90 pounds, but it varies because you've got to pay postage as well. So it's some, maybe a little bit over 90 pounds, but not much. And from your box, you basically, well, you get 36 packs out your box, but you only need 24 of those packs to do a draft with eight people. And that's assuming you've got eight people. I mean, we often draft with six people, yep. and you can get two drafts out of one box. Yep. But uh, say you're wanting to run an eight eight-person draft, just from your house, because you don't want to go to a store or whatever. You maybe just want to try and get some friends into the game. You can uh, basically just buy yourself a booster box and then draft away at your heart's content. And, uh, I mean, it depends. I mean, the way, I, the way I, the, the, the I do it is that I have a, a tin full of money sitting in the house, which is basically everybody chips in for their draft for the night, and then that money goes towards the next draft. But I mean, how you do it is up to yourself. Obviously, you could you could you could get them collecting money in beforehand, or you could just. For, I mean, the way I find it's best to do it is just if the person who's organised it fronts up the cash to start with, and then kind of gets the money back after the draft. So basically, after your first draft, you've spent something like ninety pounds or ninety odd dollars, uh, depending on what, what whatever your currency is. I suppose it'll be something around that. And uh, you, if say like I mean, what we do is I just say ten pounds for three packs, which is cheaper than if you just bought the packs in the shop. But because you get more, you get the from a box of boosters when you buy them from somewhere like eBay or, or somewhere online, you uh, you get more boosters than you pay for, if, as if you were compared to if you were buying them just as individual boosters. Yeah. So you you get more than you've paid for anyway. So it's easy enough just to say ten pounds each, and then so after your first draft you do, it's cost you like ninety odd pounds to get the box, and then depending on, I mean, I'd imagine you're probably playing in the draft, so you're probably only getting seventy pounds back because you have to put ten pounds towards it yourself to get your three packs out of the box. But it's somewhere it's either eighty or seventy pounds you'll have. So you're thinking, hold on, wait now, Steve, you've made a loss here. You've actually lost money, and all your mates are, are drafting. They're happy, but you've lost money. But actually. What you do is you just do it again. You do another draft. And uh, now you've lost £40, haven't you? Or you've lost £20, whichever one it is. But you've not lost that money because after your two drafts, you've now got 24 packs left over. Because each time you do a draft, you're left with 12 packs at the box. So for every two boxes you buy, you get a free draft. Yeah. Or you get a, a draft which uh, adds money into your funds or you make a profit depending if you're willing to make a profit of your, of your friends or not 
But that's not the way. That's not the way I roll, Craig. No, I know that. Yeah. The. Uh, You're good to us. Yeah, I know. But like, uh, yeah, basically that that's it. That's the uh, the gist of it. That it's possible to just buy booster pack uh, booster boxes from a retailer. But then you don't need. I mean, you don't have to have a whole wholesale account or anything like that to do this. Can you just buy it from a retailer? A normal kind of uh, discount you get for buying in bulk like that. Mm-hmm. And uh, you can draft from home without having to go away to stores or going solely to a Friday Night Magic. You can have ma- Magic can be any night of the week because you can do it at home, and it's a good thing. And then basically, it's just a case of how you want to run the draft because I mean, I find. I'm not very good with computers, Craig. You know this. I'm not very te- technically competent. Well, you know, we we can't all be computer scientists. So it's, yeah, I know. I know. It's, it's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's not a problem. Yeah. So, like, you can get programs for calculating pairings and calculating win percentages and placings and things. But, I mean, basically the way I, the way I do it is you randomly generate who's going to play who to start with, and then basically you just pair each other as like a norm, normal Swiss rounds. So you, each person that won a game gets put paired against another person that won a game, and each person who lost a game gets paired against another person who's lost a game. And then, but then and if there's two people in the same situation, you just roll a dice or find some other random means of doing it, because effectively when the computer does it, it's random anyway. I mean, there is maths involved, but the end result is basically random anyway. Yeah, so then you, you basically Swiss pair everybody up and down, and then you, again, if you've got draws, what tends to happen is you do it randomly, but sometimes it needs a bit of jiggling about because some people might have played people already. So it's not perfect doing it randomly like that without a system, but it's easy enough to cuff it a bit, if that makes sense. It's, so, it's close enough to the real thing that it's not too much of an issue at all. Yeah, yeah. The other thing we do is if we've got like an odd number of players, instead of having buys, we sometimes just play multiplayer. You know this, Craig. We did this last week. Yeah, we did this. So uh, two days ago. Yeah. Yeah, and we just did like we drafted as normal, but then just played multiplayer after. And then, of course, it's up to yourselves how you uh, decide uh, what the prizes are. Because I mean, you could do it so that you just draft and keep your picks or you could redraft your rears at the end just depending on what your group's happy doing uh, redrafting the rears at the end sometimes makes it a bit more complicated if you don't have a system for deciding exactly who came third and exactly who came fourth or whatever place it is I mean first's usually pretty easy to spot and last's usually easy to spot unfortunately but, for the last player <laughs> yeah, but uh, some of the players in the middle Unless you want to sit and work out win percentages and things, which isn't impossible, you can do it. But I mean, it's a bit time-consuming. We just usually roll dice, and people are happy enough because oh, it's just, as always the case. Uh, it works out in the end. After you've done it a few times, you get you know, you know you, sometimes it works in your favour and sometimes it doesn't. You know, and that's basically that's that's what we do, Craig. You know, if you want if you want to draft at home without. Uh, Without needing to go to a store, I suppose. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, it's just just saying, you know, it's, it's really easy to do. I mean, it sounds really obvious me sitting here saying buy a booster box and draft it. But, uh, yeah, it's just 
pointing out how easy it is just to pick up a booster box and draft amongst your friends, get your friends around, and you're not in a, you know, it's a really friendly environment, so you're not under pressure. Well, sometimes people don't want to go and meet new people, you know, or they don't want to try out the, the new, this this odd kind of strange game with uh, with their friends in front of other people who might mock them if they don't really understand it completely. Yeah. You know, or, yeah, I'm just chucking it out there. You know? No, I I definitely think it's a good thing. I mean, before I did drafts with you, like we do on Thursdays, I think I tried a couple of drafts with a few of my friends, and there was only four of us, and yeah. it went pretty well. And the other thing was, if if you if you buy a booster box, but maybe it's you know you don't quite have the money for a booster box, yeah. you can do a draft with a few friends and make back some of the money with that. Yeah, I yeah. mean, it's a way to get a. Some cards cheaper, but you know. It's... And what, one thing you find it's amazing how far people are willing to travel for a game of magic. Like, if, if you take, <laughs> I'm just saying, like, if you take our group on a on a Friday night, they come to Friday night magic. Most of the people that come to Friday night magic travel a good distance to get there. Like, so, and if you can sort of make contacts amongst people in your sort of community who play magic, they will come. They'll come to you. If you say, "I'm doing a draft." On this day, they will come to you because people love this game, you know. Yeah, I, I mean, if you take me as a key, I, I mean, I'm not sure if I'm the person who travels the furthest. I think I am. Yeah, I think you are. Yeah. But I, I travel an hour, one way through terrible country roads with no <laughs> lighting, in pitch black now that it's winter and icy conditions and icy conditions. <laughs> as I was learning yesterday when I was driving back from Friday Night Magic, and it's a bit of a nightmare drive. Yeah. But I'm quite happy to do that basically every week. Yeah, but I mean, like, if you take, like, what we used to do, we used to, like, we'd go to, I mean, some weeks, I went, went especially pre, pre-release weeks, we'd travel to Dundee for Wednesday night magic, we'd do Thursday night magic at my house, and then Friday night magic would be Kirkcaldy, and then you'd have pre-release on Saturday in Kirkcaldy, and then you'd have pre-release on Sunday in Perth. And then it's like, this massive, de- like, we could just drive about but it's like, you're just willing to do it because you enjoy playing the game and it's worth it, you know? I, I, I wish I had a good enough paying profession that I actually <laughs> afford that sort of thing. Because that sounds like a dream come true, in all honesty. Yeah, oh, I don't know, by the time you get to the Sunday, you're pretty... I mean, you'd be better off grinding PTQs, I think. <laughs> it's true, uh, true. Anyway, I'm just I'm just saying, people people who want to play this game will come to you. You know, if you build it, and they will come. Indeed. Yeah. <laughs> or draft it, and they will come, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Yeah, that's it, you know. Um, right, jumping into my topic then. Um, yeah. So I want to talk about yesterday's draft, which was a Friday Night Magic. Um, putting some of the stuff we spoke about into motion, I drafted an Azorius deck. Although, to be honest, I didn't really need to draft it. I think we said when we were talking about Azorius... Most of the cards are good for the deck, if it's blue or it's white. Yeah. And I think yesterday I saw most of the blue and white cards. Mm-hmm. I opened Martial Law, which is a good place to start. I mean, it keeps me open insofar as I can happily go either Selesnian or Azorius, or I can even just splash the white if I'm playing it or Golgari. Yeah. But I didn't really need to, because, um, let's see... I ended up, Hallowed Fountain got past me second, and I was like, ah, it's a bit too early to jump in. And it came back to me, pick 10, which kind of screamed it was open. 
In packs two, I can't remember what rare I opened, but I got past Supreme Verdict, Palisade Giant, and Conjured Currency. <laughs> now, I know Palisade Giant went a long way around the table because I was in the exact opposite corner than you. Yeah. And I got past them, but I was firmly in Golgari at that point. Yeah. And it went all the way around to you. So I think, you know, at least fight was open to you from a long way around. Um, Conjure Currency made it around the table. Like, it passed me. Like, I picked it up on the second time it came to me. Uh, yeah, that's not really a surprise, though. It's not, it's not a uh, highly software card. True. I mean, I ran it in all but my last game. All but in the finals. Um, but I, n- I never actually came into play. I was mostly running it to see how good it was. Um, but I actually never got the chance to see it, unfortunately. But mm. And then, yeah, as far as my other cards go, um, I've got most of them in front of me. Like, grabbing an Armory Guard, I had an Arrestor and a Justiciar, Knightly Valor. Is a really nice card for the deck. Uh, Rootborn Defenses, which combos very nicely with Supreme Verdict. Let me tell you, I think I did that a couple of times. A uh, couple of Sunspire, Griffins, uh, Inaction Junction, Skywatch, Void Wielder, Skymark Rock. I had Iliav Sky Knight, a couple of Frostburn Weirds, a couple of Vassal Souls. I had two Gilgates on top of my Hallowed Fountain. I had a Key Rune. This kind of was the Nutsazorus deck. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sounds um, uh, yeah, so so in my first game I was playing against uh, Selesnia and I, at least in my, f- my first game, I think I got Marshall on to play turn four. Um, I was getting a few detain cards out pretty quick and it kept, it forced him to keep pushing out more and more creatures because I was constantly detaining one thing with Martial Law. I kept playing out like a detained creature every turn, so I was keeping at least two of his creatures on lockdown. Uh, he had like a uh, gatekeeper vine, which obviously doesn't attack, and to be honest, didn't really phase me. And he kept having to commit and commit and commit to the board. And I ended up, got, he ended up because I was able to detain it for so long, I was able to do the Supreme Verdict, Rootborn Defenses combo. <laughs> that, that's pretty sick. It's a, well, yeah, one, one side of the board wipe. So, you know, oh my, so all oh my guys can attack. He can choose to block or not. Or actually, no, I don't think I did it that way. I probably, yeah, Supreme Verdict and then put on the Rootborn Defenses. So I swung after all those guys have been cleared off the board. Because I knew yeah. he'd run cancel. So that was fine. Um, the second game, it was, there was somewhat of a similar position. Like I think he played a creature and then I played something which detained. And then he got out another couple of creatures and I was able to play the Justiciar to detain them all. And then he committed more creatures. He had five guys on his side. He had a Vitu Gazi Guild Mage. And he made... Okay, actually, let me let me present the situation to you, Steve. So you are yeah. playing Selesnia. You've got a Vitu Gazi Guild Mage. You have eight mana. Yeah, this is right. I'm not quite sure I stole it at this stage. But you've got eight mana. Vitu Gazi Guild Mage. You have a Centaur. And you got enough creatures to block all my guys. Yeah. So you're not in any urgency to create more blockers or anything like that. End of your turn. What do you do? End of my turn. Yeah, end of your turn. You got eight mana open. Vito Gazi Gilmaze, Centaur, guys. It's post combat. End of my turn. I passed the turn. My opponent didn't. He populated twice. Hmm. So he had tons of guys on the board. And then I just supreme verdict at the beginning of my turn. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we could go into a lesson about 
know when to use your abilities. Like, it should always be in your opponent's end step, ideally, rather than your end step. And this is why. He spent 8 mana to create 2 guys, and he left himself with no mana, and I just wiped his guys off. Yeah. If it had been the other way around, you could have created guys in response... Put guys on the stack in response to the verdict, couldn't you? Um, I don't think that would work because the guys would come into play, but like if you had root-born defences. Oh, I see. Yeah. Or if, I mean, I can't really think of much else which would help, but if you, even if you had someone like an avenging arrow, like after I hit him, he could at least take out one of my guys. Yeah. But he just he just emptied his mana pool, had nothing, and... I suppose that the, the main downside of playing it like that is you are just telepathing across the table that I have nothing. I've got nothing. There you go. Yeah. Play away. Indeed. You know, because the end result's the same. You still end up with the guys, kind of like if you didn't have the the, the sweeper, the board state would have been the same at the end of the next turn. But that is true. The uh, just by playing it early like that, you're just telling your opponent, you're just giving him information that he doesn't need to have, I suppose. Like you knew for a fact you couldn't play a root button defenses. Yeah, <laughs> I knew for a fact you couldn't play anything. I was yeah. just so yeah, it was it was it was helping me to make the right decision. Yeah. And there was no need to do that, but, you know, it's... But, I, I, yeah, we could probably leave another topic for just discussing when to do yeah. stuff. But, anyways, um, so I won my first game, uh, relative ease. Uh, second game, I was against Rakdos. Azorus played pretty well. It was the tempo game. Like, creatures were coming out thick and fast. I Supreme Verdict just on turn four. Didn't, because, like, I think I played one guy just to hold the advance. And then I was just able to play guys with a big enough body, like the Armory Guard and the Void Wielder, and was just able to block most of their guys, keeping other things entertained and just swinging in the air. The big thing mm. against Rakdos is they don't have many flyers. I was running tons for the very reason that a lot of people, like if you're outside Azorus, and because I was grabbing all the flyers, it kind yeah. of meant not many other people at the table were going to have too many flyers. Yeah. So like, mm. Yeah, with the double griffin and the sky knight and the sky watch. It, I mean, I had a reasonable amount of dominance in the air, so. Yeah, sounds good, man. And then in the final, um, I ended up playing against Dan, as you normally find in the final, because he's lucky. Um, <laughs> and this was a lot more tricky because he was playing Is It, which meant he had cancelled. And whilst yeah. that doesn't do anything to Supreme Verdict, if you're trying to do the Supreme Verdict, then Rootborn Defenses combo, then you can get blown out there. Also, he kind of knew what I was playing. I, I think it may, maybe made it way around that. What if, like, to be honest, in our Friday Night Magic, we don't really keep secret what we're running, but it was pretty clear that I was Azorus. I had the Supreme Verdict because I'd sort of taken out two people with that already. So he was able to play slow. Like, he knew if he overcommitted, he'd get blown out. So yeah. it was it was a lot trickier um, to get there, and the first game went to me with relative ease. The second game went to him. It, it, it went long, but it was pretty clear about halfway through that he was winning. But I, you know, I I didn't like to quit whilst there was still a chance I could have won. Like I yeah. wasn't letting the game go infinitely long just to go, go to a draw or something like that. But you know, I I don't like just quitting if there's still a possibility he could win. Like, the second is clear, I've lost, and I just give up. But um, mm. the third game, and now, unfortunately, I can't exactly remember what happened, but it was the her most horrendously close game of Magic I've played in ages. Um, it it literally came to the top deck. He had, let's remember, he had uh, Splatter Thug, a Lobber Crew, and a Void Wielder. 
and he he had he was and I was I was tricky trying to play my detain to stop him from attacking me. It was because I was trying to work out like a splatter thug would kill my guy if I blocked. So that was an issue there. If I oh god, actually no, I've forgotten now. I need to remember this. It just escaped me. <laughs> oh, it was, such, it was such a crazy game. I went to the, it was totally top deck central, but yeah. Um, oh it god. It was totally top deck central. It it was it was it was that's, that's like, gotta be the name of the name of this particular podcast. <laughs> it was totally top deck central. I was gonna cut all this out, but I guess I can leave my my memory failings in. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I mean the the way I won, I was I got a void wielder into play, and then I was able to pip through the last point of damage. But oh no, it's it's gone for me. But uh, I just that's remember okay. maybe maybe I can get Daniel on some some stage to remind me what happened. But it, it was. It was a crazy tight game, but yeah, yeah. I, I, ended up up, go- I ended up going three zero, so yay, yay, victory! Yeah, I ended up. I won my first round in that draft, and then I played Dan in the second round, and I was Golgari, and he was like, "Is it?" As you said, yeah. And um, and both t- both games, he kind of got ahead and was able to hold open mana to threat encounters, and I was like, "Ah, so he was bouncing my guys." And then had enough mana to counter them and tried to replay them. And I was like, what am I going to do? And I ended up just trying to beat him with a terrorist worm, the rogue's passage. Just basically, it was, it was either that or try and play guys into essence shatters or... And I don't even know if he had an essence shatter, but he said he was representing it. Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, I'm not playing into that. So I'll just, I'll beat him with a 5-5. Five, five. Had him on, like, had him dead in one, in two turns. But then he... He was able to void wielder a guy back to my hand and this caused all sorts of problems and it was like, oh well, good game. But it was really funny like last night because although I didn't do particularly well, I felt I played really well yesterday, if that makes sense. Yeah. Like I didn't actually feel like I made a lot of mistakes. Whereas quite often after Friday Night Magic, I'm kind of in a really relaxed kind of frame of mind and I tend to make a lot of mistakes and have a lot of don't moments. Oh, I... I made a ton of mistakes in my second game against Daniel. So, here's the situation. Unleash Splatterthug, Voidwielder, is it Staticaster? Mm. Your side of the table, you have an Azorus Justiciar, and I want to say, is it an Armory Guard? No, it, it must be something small. I can't remember what it is. I, I can't remember what it is. I think you got something else small. And you got a Void Wielder in hand, and you play the Void Wielder. I can't remember specifically why I need to play the Void Wielder. Play the Void Wielder. So you got a choice of bouncing Void Wielder on Unleashed Splatter Thug, or it is a Staticaster. Now, what do <laughs> why, you pick? Why did I get the feeling you bounced a Staticaster? Because I did. <laughs> so, so I was I was describing this in the drive back with Daniel. So my mental process went: I don't want to bounce a Void Wielder because he'll just play it again and bounce one of my guys. Yep. I don't want to bounce a Splatter Thug because it's unleashed, it can't block, and I can get it some damage this turn. Ergo, bounce it, the Staticaster. So, of course, I say, Void Wielder, bounce the Staticaster. He goes, tap the Staticaster, one point of damage to just this year, goes back to my hand, flash it in, tap the Staticaster, one point of damage to just this year, it dies. <laughs> and I was just looking across the table going, what just happened? Oh, God. And for the rest of the match, that that Staticaster, I I kept not. I wasn't able to do the math. Like every single time I was going to combat, he he would look at me and go, "Are you sure?" 
he was being very nice because every single time I was making a mistake, like with a splatter, like whenever I was blocking, I think I was blocking with the void wielder on the splatter thug, and he was like, "Are you sure?" And I was like, "Why? <laughs> it's a one-four blocking a three-three. Sure, he got first strike. All oh, the one damage from Staticaster pre-damage, yeah, killing me talk- instantly." We've talked about this, Craig. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, it, it, to- it totally escaped me in game two of that against Daniel. I just yeah. couldn't work it out. One of the reasons why he thrashed me also, I think he, he just had a better board state, but I, I just couldn't do the math when it came to the static caster. Yeah. It's funny when you get in the way of making mistakes. You don't just make one. You, you end up yeah. uh, mulling the first mistake over your head so much that you make another one. Or two or three. Ah! I, I don't know. It just it somehow I just couldn't think about it. It, it didn't occur to me it had flash. It didn't occur to me it could ping pre combat or whatever or pre damage. I, I I was just yeah, wasn't thinking. Yeah. I, think um, what, I think what really focused my mind uh, yesterday was my first round opponent kept flicking his cards in his hand. You know the kind of the yeah the twitchy kind of shuffling the cards in the hand. It doesn't usually bother me at all. But he was doing it in a way that was really loud. Was oh, really right, okay. Flick, 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 flick. And, and it didn't bother me, but I, I, I ended up finding myself looking at my hand, going, right, this is what I've got, and just, like, putting my hand down, facing the table, and just looking at him, like, can you flick your cards as much as you like? And it really sort of changed my attitude in that one game to, I'm just going to beat you because you're annoying me. And yeah. then I think that attitude kind of carried over for the whole night rather than the easy old, yeah, it's Friday Night Magic, let's have a bit of a laugh kind of attitude, you know? Yeah, <laughs> it's quite quite funny. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah, yeah. So if, if you want me to play, well, flick your cards at me. <laughs> hmm. Probably not when you're playing me. Maybe at the end of a match after we've played. But <laughs> cool. Um. Yeah, I think that's me done talking about my personal topic. Cool. cool. So uh, we can move on to a very new brief section. Uh, we have had feedback, and over the last. I think it's been 10 days since we last actually recorded. I've actually got a, quite a reasonable amount of feedback. So hmm. I just want to uh, mention some of it because, you know, we, we do we like feedback and we do pay attention and um, we are somewhat informed by what you tell us. Um, but anyways, I'll just get into it briefly. So I've been talking to someone on Twitter, Jason, um, and he, one of his comments was, you guys speak some weird dialect of American, but you're entertaining and informative. To which I responded, well, I would expect we, we speak an odd dialect of American because we're Scottish. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> which I think his response may be something along the lines of, oh, right. <laughs> it's like, that explains it's what one. There's a moose loose about this hoose. Um, so yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I don't know if you've ever had the problem, but I've certainly always had the problem. People can't place where I'm from. Mm. Have you ever had that? Or this, this is probably no, just a I, me thing. I, I, I don't have this problem because I don't know. It's never been a no. It's never been a problem. Well, you're like I'm, I'm very bad with accents, and this may have something to do with my own accent. But like people have placed me from every like whenever somebody goes, "Where are you from?" I go, "Where do you think I'm from?" And I get like Irish, Dutch, American, <laughs> Canadian, Australian. Um, where else have I had Welsh? They never say Scotland. <laughs> I'm not Scottish. Yeah. Anywhere but Scotland, the name. And every, like, whenever I, when I, when I told my Dutch friend, like, somebody thought I spoke Dutch, he was like, you don't sound anything like Dutch. And then you go, you do the same with other people, and they're just like, you don't sound anything like that nationality. But nobody ever goes for Scotland, but. So, <laughs> I, I apologize for my accent. I'm definitely Scottish. My parents were Scottish. My grandparents were all Scottish. I've only ever lived in Scotland. 
but I sound like this, so. Yep. Yeah. It's the way it is. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, uh, we got an email from Max, and I will just, will I read it out? Actually, I'll read, I'll read part of it out. Um, he was like, dear guys, I really enjoy the show, and I like listening to it each week. I have a few suggestions for topics you guys could talk about in your show. Now, I'm not going to mention what these three topics are, because the chances are we're probably going to cover all three of them. Hmm. Emphasizing the point we listen. And he was just like, keep up the good work. I hope you can talk about these on the podcast. So I will say, yes, we will. <laughs> but I'm not going to let you know, because I don't want to spoil ahead like what we're going to do in the next few weeks. We, yeah. we we potentially already did that with the five guild topics. You kind of knew what was coming, even if you didn't know the specific guild. But I would just say to Max... We will cover all three of those in the nearish time future. Yeah. As I say, we are, we are informed by our listenership. Uh, finally, yeah, a few people have just generally given us thumbs up sort of feedback, which is always nice to receive. So feel free to keep doing that. Feel free yeah. to have more substantive feedback as well. Cause as I say, like Max has sent us this email. We're going to, we're probably going to act in it. Not, not because it's, not because we're being told to, but because the suggestions were good and it's the sort of thing we talk about at any rate. Yeah. So, like, if, so, if we get tons of feedback saying you guys should totally just talk about legacy, you don't care about drafting, then it'll be like maybe you should just listen to their show. Unfortunately, but yeah, I mean, the one thing is it's uh, it's great receiving feedback saying good show, guys, great and things. But you know, criticism's good as well. You know, it's not just constructive. You know, fire criticism, that's fine. I, I, we can accept that. I think. Yeah. I mean, obviously, yeah. if, you're, if you're insulting us and you're telling us we're rubbish, then. You may have a point, but... <laughs> but we're probably not going to pay much heed to your suggestions after that insult. But if you got something constructive to say... Um, actually, another point, Jason was saying, like, your microphones are a bit unclear. And yeah, I was like, I was like, yeah, that's that's true. In case you haven't noticed, I am using a different microphone now. I bought myself a sort of, quote-unquote, professional microphone. So hopefully things... At least on my end, sound a lot clearer now. <clears throat> yeah, I, I, I bought a brand new headset, mate, but then it didn't you work. You did? Yeah. Yeah, you spent, spent money on that. Yeah, that was really... I mean, I say that's really annoying. I imagine you're a bit more annoyed than I was, but... Yeah. Consider, yeah. I, I'm going to mention the brand. Am I allowed to do that? Um, <laughs> like, I'm, I'm not it. sure if we want to... Oh, I really want to see it. Um, <laughs> just leave it there, I think. <laughs> right, uh, let's, before we get into the group topic, move on to another regular feature. Um, boom and Bust, where we talk about one card which has risen in our estimations, one has fallen in our estimations, and the reasons why. Um, shall I start? Shall you start? Yeah, you crack on, mate. You crack on. On a roll. So, um, this wasn't from yesterday's draft, although it is a blue card. I want to talk about Mizium Skin, the... One mana instant, which gives a target creature plus o, plus one and hexproof, or for the overload cost of forgotten two, one in a blue, one in a blue for Mizum Skin, I think, which is quite quite cheap actually for an overload cost. Yes, it is, especially especially you've got uh, Electromancer out as well. In which case, yeah. you may as well just overload it because why the heck not? Yeah, it. Yeah, I was playing it as a deck the previous Friday Night Magic, and yeah. it did a lot of work, not for Hexproof, just for that extra plus one toughness. Yeah, I often forget the plus one toughness, because you know, it's one of those ones that I look at and I go, ah, the Mizum skin, Hexproof, nice. Yeah. And I quite often overlook, and I, see, I still remember that exact same draft I was playing Blue as well, and I had a Mizum skin in my hand, 
in three different times for three different reasons, I forgot to play it. One of them was a overlooked plus one. One of them was I tapped, I tapped the wrong land when casting things and didn't leave the one blue open. Yeah. And then there was another thing that I missed. It was just like, God, what's going on here? It's like I was saying before, one mistake leads to another. But yeah, miss skin. It's another, it's a spell, <laughs> a bit like Dust Spell, it's really cheap and really effective and can do a lot of work. Yeah. And yeah, don't, totally don't overlook the plus one toughness, because to, to be honest, I think in future that's generally what I'll be playing it for. Mm. Um, it messes up combat, doesn't it? You know? It messes up combat, like a lot more than Hex, because obviously most combat, well most interactions in Limited are creature on creature interactions, it's not creature on spell interactions. So it does a lot more work as a toughness pumper rather than a hexproof thing. I mean, occasionally it does both, or occasionally it's just a hexproof. I mean, I'm not saying completely ignore the hexproof, just do not ignore the toughness game. Yeah, it's funny how it's almost like two separate abilities. It's almost like you say, well, you can pay pay one mana and give a creature hexproof, or you can pay two mana and give all your, other, all your creatures plus one in defense. Yeah. But they're not really ever giving them all hexproof, really, for on purpose anyway. It's very rare. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, it's, I, I, I think there's probably going to be cards in Dragon Maze which target multiple creatures, but, eh, mm. like, that's not a huge thing. It, it, you're, you're right. It is about one mana hexproof, two mana boost, and not really generally doing both at the same time, but, you know. Yeah. So yeah, that's, that's definitely raising my estimation. Does a lot more work than I thought it did. Um, my bust, I'm being a bit, Bitter, a bit cynical, not being totally serious either. But the Shocklands, like, I, I hate opening Shocklands, I hate seeing Shocklands. They're rubbish. <laughs> I just, I, I'm, t- I'm tired of opening Shocklands as rare, I'm tired of seeing Shocklands go round. Like, they're not the worst cars in Limited, but when you've got Gates, why do you want Shocklands? Yeah, I mean, there's, there is occasionally times where you get them down at exactly the right time and be able to play them untapped is relevant. But, I mean, there's also been times that I've played them where it's like your life total's looking a bit sketchy and you really needed that land drop, and now the one you've got is going to cost you two lives if you want to actually use it. It's like, hmm, not so impressed with you, Mr. Shockland. The big problem with Shockland is it's not a gate. And, like, I play Armory Guard, I play Jailbreaker, and sometimes I even play... Gatekeeper Vine, and I want to search out a jewel land. But you shock lands are not gates, and that's why you're rubbish. <laughs> I don't know if they're rubbish. They're, they're not rubbish. I just hate... And the other thing is, I, I open a shock land, or I get a pass to me second, and I'm like, like, like which happened yesterday, opened martial law, went, yeah, I kind of probably want to be Azorius with this. Then I get past the Hallowed Fountain. I'm like, but I can't take a second pick, even though I want to be Azorius. <laughs> See, this is why Shocklands are rubbish. You just you can't snap them up like that. I mean, gates are similar, but gates are common. There's a lot more of them. You're yeah. not going to see two Hallowed Fountains go around. Well, generally not. So yeah, yeah. That, this is me just being bitter and cynical and not entirely serious. Shocklands I su- suck. I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> I suppose part of it is the. Excitement of the fact that it's kind of a chase card, and you do want them, yeah. and you and the, they were hyped up for you know, in a big way, you know, when the set was getting spoiled. It was like, wow, Shocklands are back! Such an excitement, and then like in draft, it's just kind of like, oh man, might as well have opened Guild Feud, you know? 
I, I don't know if it's that bad. But, um, <laughs> well, I don't know. It's unusual that you're first picking a shock one. Unless you're drafting on Magical Mine, where you're just thinking, well, I'll take the money then. Yeah, that's yeah. true. But in a, like, if you're wanting to make a deck, I don't think you're first picking a shock one. Yeah. Unless you're forcing a particular strategy. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, that's, that's, that's me. Not entirely being serious, but shock lands. Yeah. yeah. Get out of here. Give me gates any day. <laughs> <laughs> well, my, my boom and my bust are kind of similar in that I don't think they're like absolute bombs or absolute terrible cards. They're just really, my opinions changed to them slightly recently. Mm-hmm. So my boom card is Sluiceway Scorpion. And I always liked the Scorpion. Is the four mana Golgari 2-2 with Death Touch and scavenge for three mana? I think it's a green and a black and a colourless to scavenge them. Yeah, I think that's right. And uh, there was just a couple of situations where we were playing the other day and it really came across as a, a, a damned if you do, damned if you don't kind of situation for my opponent. Whereas, like, I had some defenders, he had some defenders. I had a Corpse Jack Menace in play. And the scorpion's sitting there, and it was kind of stalemate, and there wasn't a lot happening, because, like, in fact, I was playing against uh, Dan, I think, you know, I couldn't play in his counters, that's what it was, I think. And uh, I was able to just sit and attack with the scorpion, and he couldn't block it, because, one, he creatures would die. Yeah. But also because I'd get the scavenge onto my, my other guys, which would make them better, mm-hmm. and push them over what he could defend reasonably. And uh, he didn't want to not block it because he was taking two damage for free every turn. It basically turns it into an unblockable 2-2. So he's either got a, an unblockable 2-2 or he's making the other guys bigger. And it just felt really good. And uh, So it's one I'll be picking higher than I was picking before, although I think I was picking it pretty high already. But yeah. it kind of, on, the, on face value, you think 2-2 death touch, it's not really fantastic. You know, I think it costs four mana. It seems a bit expensive as well. But, yeah, it's one that's gone up, in my opinion, this week. is Sluiceway Scorpion. Cool. And uh, my card that has fallen in my uh, estimations, although it's risen again since your guess a card, is Runewing. <laughs> See, this is one where uh, at, the, at the start of the set, I was picking up these, like, you wouldn't believe, because it was kind of reminiscent of a card from Scar's book. I can't remember exactly what. It was maybe Spire Monitor, it was called. It was a 3-3... When uh, I think it entered the battlefield, it drew you a card, and I was thinking, this is the same card, but it's when it leaves. And it's a 2 2 flyer, it's evasive, you're getting value out of it by getting cards. There's nothing wrong with this card, I'll pay 4 mana for that. But really, the problem with it is it's just a 2 2, and most of the time when I play it, I end up trading it and drawing a card, and it's kind of like, well, is it really worth basically saying this card prevents X amount of damage from that creature, and you draw a card? I don't know if I'd play that card, you know. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, I still, I'll still play it if I, if I have to, but now, when I like Planosaurus and things, I tend to pick up the, uh, the instant speed birds instead of it as my four drop. Eyes in the skies. Eyes in the skies, yeah. I, I, I think instant speed two power flying is better than the two two with, uh, cantrip ability, I think. But I could be wrong. But that's what I'm doing now. I drafted two Rune Wings and two Vassal Souls in mm. uh, yesterday, and 
there was room for one between the Vassal Souls and the Rune Wing. Which one would you pick? Rune Wing, I'd say, or the Vassal Soul. Unless you had some way of abusing the hybrid cost of the Vassal Soul. Yeah, unfortunately, I did not have a Civic Saber, so that would have been wonderful in my deck. But I, I put the Vassal Soul in, in all honesty, like just getting it out like a turn yeah. quicker, having. Uh, to be honest, it's not actually any easier to cast, but I just preferred yeah. the Vassal Soul. Yeah, by the sound of it, your deck had a, like a, a a lot of flyers, you know, like, yeah. like who's kind of, this is how I'm attacking with lots of flyers. If you're just playing a, a, a kind of normal deck of not like a, a heavy blue-white flyer deck, the uh, a, a thing like a 2-2 in the air kind of gets killed really easily, like on its own, when, when there's not other things to worry about. Yeah. yeah. Which is why Runewing dies as well. But you paid four mana for that one. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I still, I still recognise its value in the getting a card out of it, but nah. Yeah, it's just gone down. It's gone down a few grades in my, in my, in my opinion. Yeah. Right. Group topic time. Yeah. Right. So we're going to talk about um, the worst cars in Return to Ravnica Limited. So we got a few suggestions. I posted up, put a post up on Tumblr, which thus. I uh, went on to Twitter and uh, Facebook about what do you think the worst cards in Return to Ravnica Limited are? And this wasn't specifically just about the rares in the Mythic Shield Open, but I think most of the cards we got suggested. Now, stepping aside briefly, there's debating clubs. And the whole point of debating club is, you know, you get better at arguing your point, and sometimes when a topic is raised... You're actually sort of asked to argue the wrong side of the argument. Yeah, do not call it being devil's advocate. I mean, it's somewhat being devil's advocate, but I, I remember when I was at uh, university that the debating club always posted up what they were going to talk about. And, like, one thing would be, like, it, it always started with this house believes, and it was like, this house believes that global warming is not a man-made act, for example. Right. Okay. And, okay, I'm not going to argue about whether global warming is man-made or not, but, you know, Obviously, it's the cows that do it. Let's just say, (laughs) sometimes when they suggest a thing, you're sort of on the wrong side of the argument. Let's go on a more extreme example, and I'm not trying to offend anyone with this, but like Holocaust denial, for example, would maybe be something. And it's not because they believe... Hold up, hold up, hold up. I'm not trying to offend anybody, but I might. I might. (laughs) like, Like Holocaust denial... I like That's clear that you're on the wrong side of the argument if you're arguing like the Holocaust didn't happen. But the point was, you know, sometimes you argue the wrong side just to get better at it, or just to get better at speaking, and just because devil's advocate. Exactly mm-hmm. that. So, here we're going to talk about cards, and one of us is going to argue why the card is bad, because we've picked these cards, or our listeners have picked these cards, because they think they're rubbish. The other person's going to argue why they're great in the face of all adversity. And we'll swap roles between different cards, but we'll always be one of us pro this card, one of us against this card, and we'll we'll just keep going until we run out of breath or lose the will to live. Or <laughs> Craig, may I point out, point out just to our listenership, I have no experience of debating clubs or such things. I will just be voicing my opinion. I I, have, <laughs> I, I do not have any experience of this either. So oh, that's fine. That's fine. Just, just, this, this could just be fun. Right. Okay. So should we alternate roles as we go down the cards? Fair enough, yeah. Seems Would fine. you like to be pro or against to begin with? To begin with. Uh, Actually, pick the card and pick your side, and then I will argue the other side. Okay. I'm going to be for Shrieking Affliction. Okay. 
Uh, right. We should probably just read out the cards just so everybody is definitely on the same page and they know what's going on. So, Shrieking Affliction is, when I can find it, a black card. It's an enchantment for one black mana, and it says, At the beginning of each opponent's upkeep, if that player has one or fewer cards in hand, he or she loses three life. Right. The thing with Shrieking Affliction is that it's really cheap to play, and... <laughs> I'm struggling already. No. It does damage to your opponent, and you don't have to invest any mana other than what you've already paid on it. So, you have... So all you've got to do is make sure your opponent has no cards in hand, and then you play your Shrieking of Friction, and it does three damage to him every turn. And then he ends up in this really awkward position where he can't actually play any cards from his hand because he doesn't want to take that three damage. And it combos up beautifully with cards like Stabrin, absolutely fantastic with Stabrin, because look, he's taking five points of damage every turn now. He'll be dead in, like, four turns. Shrieking Affliction and Stabrin are a four-turn clock from the start of the game. So that's turn three, that's seven, seven turns you've got him dead. That's not bad. There's not many one-mana enchantments can do that. Uh, it's also really easy to get him down to one, to get him down to one card in hand, obviously, because you've got woods cards within your colours, like Mind Drop and, uh, what's the multicolour one? Skullrend. Skullrend. Obviously, you're going to pick up all the Mind Drops and Skullrends, because nobody else is playing this, you're going to get lots of them. And you just fill your deck with him. Oh, and the, the rat, you've got a, you've got a one mana rat, a one one, that when he dies forces your opponent to discard. Who's playing the discard deck? Nobody's playing the discard deck. So you make the discard deck, you cram it for Shrieking Reflections. It's also got great synergy with all the other enchantment stuff you can get. So you can play black white enchantments, Shrieking Reflection, Mind Drop, the, oh, you'll have to go splash a bit of red for the red, for the Rakdos card as well. But once you've done that, you also cram in a couple of Trained Caracals, and some Ethereal Armors, and you've got a deck. That is a deck. Shrieking Affliction is a deck. That's why it's a good card, Craig. Okay. I think we're going to have an easier time here. So Shrieking <laughs> Affliction, let's say they're lucky, and they've got nothing else to do on turn one, and they play it out. For the rest of the game, you keep a land in, in your hand, and that Shrieking Affliction... Oh no, it's one or fewer cards. You can keep two land in your hand. Like, that's, that's not an issue. Like, if they play in the late game, you're gonna get extra lands which you don't need to do anything with. You're holding cards back just to pretend you got tricks. Shrieking Affliction does nothing. If they play it early, you see it coming from a mile away. You just keep cards in hand. It's not a real issue at all. Like, just keeping cards in hand isn't an issue because you're gonna get too much land. You're never gonna need more than, well, like seven land, I guess, and that's only if you're playing like a 7 draw. Yeah, you just keep car- cars in hand, lands in hand, which aren't doing anything else, and it's fine. And because nobody plays Mind Rot, you don't have to worry about that. Nobody plays Drainpipe Vermin, and even if they did, they still have to play Black to cause you to discard a card. That's trying too hard. And then Skullrend, sure, that does stuff, but nobody's playing Shrieking Infliction. Plus, it's never going to be in a high enough quantity that you ever need to worry about it. It's an uncommon... I mean, they're really just ruining their deck because they're they're just one of these cards basically does nothing. It's it's just rubbish. Ah, see, Craig, can I interject? Yes. Freaking affliction. Don't play it turn one. Then. Play it when they've played the last card out of their hand, and then how how are they actually going to get to play anything the top deck? They they could top deck inspiration or thought flare. <laughs> 
<laughs> but you understand what I'm saying. It makes it really awkward to actually take cards out of your hand and use them I, without that three lives getting taken off your life total. Uh, this house believes a shrieking infliction is a bad card, so I cannot help you at all. <laughs> <laughs> right. So Chronic Flooding, it's uh, one and a blue, it's an enchantment aura, and it, it says Enchant Land. Whenever Enchant Land comes tapped, its controller puts the top three cards of his or her library into his or her graveyard. So the natural application for Chronic Flooding is, of course, put it on one of their lands, and then, especially if it's a useful land, like a Guildgate or Shock Land, then they're probably always tapping it of the casting spells, because it's the most useful, and that keeps milling them for three. And this works in the same deck as... Hover Barrier, Doorkeeper, Crossway Courier, the mill deck. However, it also works in the mill deck on your side of the table. So you enchant your own land, and every single time you tap your land, which you can do like whenever, you don't have to spend mana on a spell to tap your land. You can tap your land, the mana goes into your mana pool and fizzles, who cares? And you're milling your stuff for three, and this seems like a really bad deal. Except for, of course, you've picked up the uncommon Psychic Spiral. So you get enough cards in your graveyard Really works well if you're somehow playing Golgari, although Golgari is sort of on the wrong side of the colour pie um, for playing blue. But, you know, you mill enough of your cards, get enough of your graveyard big enough, and then Psychic Spiral for the win. It's fantastic. And it only costs two. It's really cheap. If you can get, like, they're common, so you can probably get a couple of them. Like, you could be milling yourself for tons, um, get a Psychic Spiral in play. Simple. You just mill yourself quickly <laughs> and then mill them even quicker. Right, first I'd like to say that this is not a card. Milling your opponent is a waste of time. By the time you've spent putting this on one of their lands and expecting them to intentionally mill themselves to the point where they are going to die is just wishful thinking. By the time that they've tapped that land three times and milled nine cards, you're three turns into the game and they've now got better options. So you're going to have to use some other creature or other ability to mill them, as well as uh, Chronic Flooding, and basically those other ways of doing it are just better. Like, in fact, they're not even that good. The other me- methods are rubbish as well. The Crossdown Courier might as well beat him to death. Kills him a bit quicker than he mills him. Anyway. Another point here is, Chronic Flooding, you draw it late game, it does nothing. You put it on one of his many lands that he's got in play, and you've just wasted two mana and a card. You've wasted a draw. You're hoping to draw something good. You're needing a creature. You're needing a removal spell. And you got this do-nothing enchantment. You're not going to be happy. The other thing, mill is just a weak strategy in general because you, you put their cards in their graveyard and then what? You've now gone from trying to defeat a life total of 20 to a life total of 33 because you've got 33 cards in the start of his library at the start of the game so like you're just you're just picking a losing strategy if you decide to go with the mill strategy that's what I say you're wrong <laughs> that's all I've got to say on the matter <laughs> maybe we should um, I don't know if we should uh, try to say what the truth is afterwards <laughs> the truth is probably somewhere in the middle between us isn't it um <clears throat> I feel like I'm betraying my team chronically <laughs> I think Chronic Flooding's place is going to come when we're drafting all three blocks, because I think Mill's going to be a thing. See, the Psychic Spiral thing is a real thing. You go Chronic yeah. Flooding in your own lands, Psychic Spiral, but I also use Codex Shredder, 
so that if you mill your psychic spiral, you can get it back. Yeah, definitely. And, yeah, and it's like, well, I've been doing a little bit of mill over time, and then, boom, mill you for 20, mill you for 19, whatever it is, you dead. Yeah, I think that's the only place where chronic flooding works, with psychic spiral and the codex shredder, in case you bin your psychic spiral, but... Yeah. Otherwise, it's not it's not a strategy for putting on your opponent. I mean, even if they do, like, even if you do it early on turn two and they still need to spend mana, you're milling them for six or nine, maybe. Yeah. It's not, but, it's not a big a deal. But if they're playing Golgari. And if they, yeah, exactly. If they're <laughs> playing Golgari, you're probably just helping them. You're just getting their scavenge guys into the graveyard quickly. Yeah. Or, God forbid, you uh, get Jared into the graveyard. Oh, God. Good luck there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, Shrieking Affliction, should we go back to that and mention what we think about that? Yeah, I suppose so. I think it's rubbish. Yeah, me too. Okay. <laughs> right, uh, pick a card. Actually, I think the enchantment deck might want it. If you've got a load of things. Again, I want to try it. I want to try it still. Uh, yeah, w- w- once we, you can play Orzov, maybe, with the enchantment deck. Again, Rekronic Flooding. Orzov is a thing, Craig. You can play it now. <laughs> you can play it now. Like, Black White Enchantments is a deck. Okay, well, once you beat me with that, I'll credit you with uh, creating that deck. Okay, it is fantastic. Hmm. Stab wound rules. Oh, look, you can't attack me because I've got so many enchantments. True. <laughs> anyway, um, what's your next card, Craig? Well, I mean, I know we got this list in front of us, but you, you pick whatever you want to argue for. Okay, <laughs> I want to argue for World Spine Worm. Should I read it out? Yeah, go for it, man. So, World Spine Worm costs 8 green, green, green. That is 11 total mana. Um, it is a 15-15 for the effort, with Trample. And when it dies, you put 3 five, five Worms with Trample onto the battlefield. And if it's ever put into a graveyard from anywhere, you shuffle it back into its owner's library. So, this thing ain't going away. Okay. So, this has got to be the best card in the set, hasn't it? It's a bomb. If there's... A definition of a bomb is World Spine Worm. 15-15, who's going to answer that? And if it dies, you get 15 power worth of green worm creatures which can be populated on? Wow. Who's who's recovering from that? How do you recover from that? You don't. You just get crushed. So, all you've got to do is get yourself 11 mana. That's not so much. I mean, back in the day, 11 mana would only get you a Dark Steel Colossus, which was an 11-11. That's pretty pathetic. I mean, before that, even, you, would, you wouldn't get a... Well, I, can't remember, I think Leviathan was a 10-10. And it was... It ate your lands. This thing's a bargain. 15-15. Wow. I mean, they might as well call it an Eldrazi. It's huge. So all you've got to do is get your ramp out, get your Gaxpain Guardians out, get your Kieran's out, Get your ramp on the job. You open this guy, pack one, pick one. You can build around him easy enough. And all you do is you make a deck that that allows you to play this card. And once you play it, you win. Simple as. Easy peasy. I'd like to see you argue against that, Craig. World Spine Worms converted mana cost is 11. <laughs> okay, you win. <laughs> I mean, to be honest, let's carry on the argument. I mean, 11 is pretty ridiculous. There are ways to do it, but I'm not going to argue for it. Even if they then play World Spine Worm, there's nothing to stop it being you know, arrested. There's nothing to stop it being cancelled as you try to play it. I mean, they're going to see it coming if you're ramping up to this much mana. 
Syncopate also works. Martial law can just detain it all day. Like detain, deta- detains it all day, every day. It's just not happening. Like you're, you're dreaming. If you're, if you're hitting a lot of mana, you're dreaming. If you don't think they're seeing it coming and they don't think they've got an answer for it, you're dreaming. Yeah, and a lot of mana. A lot of mana, man. Yeah, I, I hear you, buddy. I hear you. <laughs> Craig, I'm just looking at the title of, of our uh, group topic, topic here, and the title calls it The Worst Cards in Return to Ravnica Limited. Yes. So, is it fair to say that uh, <laughs> all the arguments, whoever is arguing pro is probably wrong? Yes. That is the <laughs> point, but I want to double... I mean, if we just went Shrieking Affliction... It only works in the Orzhov deck. Chronic Flooding only works in the Self Mill deck. World Spine Worm, no. It's, we're going to be <laughs> we're going to be over this pretty quickly. It's a lot more fun having someone arguing why these rubbish well, cards okay. are good. Okay, but I'm finding hard to find belief in myself here. Well, that's that, <laughs> this is part of debate club. You need to learn okay. to debate the wrong side to become a better speaker. You need to. I I don't want to be in debate club, Craig. <laughs> <laughs> the people in debate club get beaten up by the magic players, and that's saying something. <laughs> <laughs> oh. <laughs> uh, are you saying magic players aren't cool? No, you're, you're sure saying magic players are cool. We're a lot cooler than the oh, debate yeah. club guys. Yeah, cooler than the de- debate club guys. Yeah. Uh, don't don't go to the de- debate club. Come to Friday Night Magic instead. You have a lot more fun. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Okay. What's the, What's the next one? What's the next one? Uh, this is my turn to be positive, isn't it? I think so, I think so. I think it'd be more fun if we chose each other's cards to be positive about them. <laughs> okay, go on then. Pick my okay. poison. I want you to be positive about Guild Feud. Oh, you know how much I hate that card. <laughs> okay. Guild Feud appears in every single draft. It goes round all the time. Anyways, Guild Feud. This is Wardy. Hold on. It costs five and a red, and it's an enchantment. And it reads, At the beginning of your upkeep, target opponent reveals the top three cards of his or her library, may put a creature card from amongst them onto the battlefield, then puts the rest into his or her graveyard. You do the same with the top three cards of your library. If two creatures are put onto the battlefield this way, those creatures fight each other. I'm arguing four, haven't I? Yeah. Okay, so you're paying (laughs) six mana. You could get... Like, you can see three cards, and you can pick the best creature amongst them, and it goes onto the battlefield for free. Your World Spine Worm, this is how you play World Spine Worm, kiddo. You <laughs> drop that, it ain't losing ever. Now, the other good thing is, of course, they're looking at their top three. Now, what happens if they're playing, like, is it? They don't have good creatures, they don't have many creatures, they're playing spells. They don't hit any creature, you just go, I don't have a free creature, please. Thank you very much. <laughs> and even if they do play a creature, your creature's gonna be better, cause you're in red, and it just beats down. You're gonna kill whatever puny little vassal soul, or crossway courier, or like a Rakdos cackler. You're just gonna take them all down while you're a massive fatty. <laughs> like, they're gonna be crying, it's like, oh no, you like, milled me for three, and then I, I lost one of my guys, and You've got this guy for free, and oh, it, they're going to be crushed, crushed. <laughs> and this, this is why Guild Feud is cool, because you mill him, you kill him, and you get a dude, all for a cheap cost of six mana, and only one red. <laughs> it is so like it's totally splashable. 
<laughs> in the world spineworm deck. <laughs> in the world spineworm deck, you're you're playing Gogari and Rakdos. It, 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 no, you're just playing Rakdos, and you just got the world spineworm in there just for guild feud. Boom. <laughs> Have a go, sir. Defend this card. Actually, attack this card. Yeah. You, you can't. So, first of all, it's an enchantment. Second of all, it costs six mana. And third of all, it, the, the, it's the opening line on the card that spoils the, the whole thing. It says, at the beginning of your upkeep. Which means, you've got to wait a whole turn before this card does anything. So you've just spent six mana, a card, and you've got to wait until your opponent plays out his entire turn before you even get the first inklings of an effect. And then, the effect you do get is completely random. You don't know where your opponent's got. Your opponent could be running the world's spine worm, worm, worm deck. And uh, next thing you know, you've just dropped a bunch of free creatures onto the battlefield for him, and you've milled away your best removal off the top of your deck. One other thing about Guild Feud as well, is that uh, when the creatures come to play, they fight each other. Now, how many big fatties have you seen in other colours? Well, Big fat arsed creatures in other colours. So those white guys with five toughness, those green guys with four toughness. How many of your how many of your red cards are actually hurting those? And like, what deck you actually might be playing this in? You might be playing a Rakdos. Like your Rakdos guys coming in with like two or three power, and they're not going to be killing things. And if they do kill them, they're probably getting killed right back because of their toughness. And is it doesn't want to be doing it either. So good feed rubbish. Waste of a card. Should yeah. never printed. You're, you're wrong, because Guild Feud, it's every single turn you're getting a free guy out. And just look at the quality of creatures in red. Chaos Imps comes down for six or seven if you unleash it. Blood Free Giant comes down for four or five if you unleash it. Even, you know, Minotaur Aggressor, that does six. <laughs> Cobble Brute, that does five. You're killing their guys, you're milling their guys, you're kind yeah. of fatties as well. The, the the problem with that argument is that Chaos Imps and Bloodfade Giant and Minotaur Aggressor, if you're running them, are only making up like a tiny percentage of your deck. The rest of your deck's made up of Gutter Snipes and Gorehouse Chainwalkers and Dead Revelers and other crap. Well, not crap, but other low-impact uh, guys who are just dying to practically everything. And just imagine you're playing Golgari as well and you're just, you know, you play your Death Touchers. Yeah, you kill anything. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I can stop this argument now. Okay, yeah, I think so. We've, so we've, we've seen enough of that one, I think. So it's just it's just too slow. It's too random. Yeah. It doesn't do enough for the cost. I think it could actually be quite fun to play. If you're interested in fun, I think Guildford could be fun. It's it, it will win you any games. <laughs> it'd be a lot better if there are a lot more expensive cars or. If you're playing multiple guild feuds and multiple off-colour bombs or something, I don't know. But yeah. it would be fun. It's not practical. Yeah. Strange card. But cool. Yeah. It might go in my commander deck. Uh, it's it's probably better <laughs> suited in commander, in all honesty. Yeah. Okay, let's see. The card you need to argue is great. Um, search the city. Ooh, that's a low blow. <laughs> yeah, well, if you can't argue for long, you can't that, argue for long. I do, what's that card? Let's have a look. What's it? Okay, it's uh, four and a blue. It's another enchantment. When Search a City enters the battlefield, you exile the top five cards of your library. 
when you play a card with the same name as one of the exile cards, you may put one of those cards with that name into its owner's hand. Then if there's no cards exiled with Surgeon City, sacrifice it. If you do, take an extra turn after this one. Point to note here is that very last line you just read out, you get to take a free turn. But also, Greg, also, mm-hmm. as you get to exile top five cards of your library, okay, and whenever you play a card with the same name as one of those, you may put one of those cards with that name into your hand, okay? So, say top five top five cards of your library, you're going to say, I, I reckon two or three of those are land, most of the time. So, all you need to do is peel some land off the top of your deck, and you get to, you might even have multiples of the same land. You might even have, like, two mountains. You can get those in your hand, and you'll be ramping. If you've got any sort of multiples in your deck at all, like, I mean, if you've first picked Search the City, and then deliberately picked three ofs and four ofs of all the cards that you're playing, I mean, admittedly, you're going to have to play some slightly less premium cards. Positivity, positivity. I am being positive. You don't have to play lesser cards, you just just play tons of cool cards. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so you play tons of cool cards. Play tons of cool cards. And in multiples, and then you get to draw. It's basically draw five cards. Essentially, this card says, pay five mana, draw five cards, take a free turn. What's bad about that? What could be wrong with that? Okay, so for one thing, when you play a card with the same name as one of the exile cards, you may put one of those cards. So even if you exile five islands, and you play an island, you only get one of those islands exiled. So that's one problem. <laughs> uh, let's see, the other problem, this is limited. How often do you have two ofs in your deck? Sometimes you have a few, if you're lucky. How many times do you have three ofs in your deck? How many times, more importantly, do you have one ofs in your deck? I bet you have tons of one ofs. And then what happens if you exile one of those one ofs? Well, that just means you've exiled five of your cards, and occasionally you may get some of those cards back, but really, you haven't done much, have you? And what happens if you exile both of that two of, you know, you, you're running two rune wings, and you exile both of them, then you just don't get any more rune wings. Even worse, you play this, and then you just go, have a look at some of my libraries so you know what to do next game. It just, it's just rubbish. Like, you're never going to have, you're never going to get the luck that you play enough multiples that it hits something which you can uh, then get another one of. And even if you do, it's going to take you, what, like, probably five turns, maybe four if you got one of them in your hand before you get this free extra turn. They can see it coming, and if they see it coming, they can just destroy the enchantment when it gets in sort of in danger sort of territory. But it's just not happening. You're just dreaming. You're not going to have the multiples. Even if you do, it takes forever. I mean, what are you spending on this? Five mana and a slot in your deck. You fool. <laughs> No, nah, this card is awesome. It really is. You just... It's, it's, you have to have it, like, early on, but when you've got it, you pick it, and you just start intentionally picking cards which you'll get multiples of. You build the deck around the card, and then your deck will be fantastic and cool because you can search the city for the win. But well, you take multiples of Chronic Flooding, Shrieking Affliction, I mean... Oh, yeah, if you want. <laughs> and and, you, and you, want, you want multiples of those as well. Right, um, this is unplayable. Yeah, totally. Because it's just a multi- it's just a multiple factor. Like even if you hit five islands, then you, you need to you five. need 
You have to draw five islands. Yeah. yeah. You need to majorly flood yourself to get a turn with all your mana and nothing else. But, I mean, the odds are pretty stacked against you, though, aren't they? Where, yeah. like... I mean, this is turn five of the game. So, if you play a card with the same name as one of the extra cards... So, suppose you could preemptively hold on to cards throughout the game that you know you're going to be able to... You know, you could sandbag some cards. Yeah. Hoping you're going to draw. Nah, it's not working. No, That's you're... You're hurting yourself by playing slow, and then you need to hit those cards. I mean, this one doesn't even work in Commander. <laughs> no, th- this is actually not a Commander card. I'm not sh- This is definitely for Constructed, but I'm not sure who's yeah. playing it. Yeah. Well, I don't know. Relanthus Rats. Dot deck. <laughs> Just things. Know. Swamp Islands and Relanthus Rats. I don't know. Let's yeah. move on, shall we? Yeah, that card's rubbish, Craig. Okay, so <laughs> pick my poison. Okay. Uh, you must be positive about search warrant. <laughs> okay, so search warrant. It costs a meager white and a blue. It is a sorcery. Target player reveals his or her hand. You gain life equal to the number of cards in that player's hand. So, it costs two mana, and you're probably getting it maybe turn three at worst. You then get to see their hands. They're going to have, what, four, five cards in their hand? You're going to be able to map out what they're going to do over the next three, four turns of the game, and you're getting five life on top of that. And you're playing Azorus. You are playing Tempo. That five life is going to make a difference. I mean, I could just stop there. You see what they're going to be playing. You get life. What more do you need? I mean, I- I'm done. I don't need to argue anymore. Search warrant's easy. It's fantastic. This card used to be playable. When it was free and you got to draw a card off it as well. It used to be called Gitaxian Probe. And it cost you two lives. And that was playable. This is not playable, Craig. All it does is gain you lives. What's the point of that? You die to whatever it was that was causing you to need lives in the first place. The information you get is information, but your, your opponent knows you know now and will play around that, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> this is a terrible card, Craig. You, you know, take up space in your deck. See, you can't argue against it. Like, Gitaxian Probe was totally playable, but that costs you two life. This is gaining no, you life. This co- Gitaxian Probe cost you nothing. It didn't even cost you mana. It didn't cost you a card. This cost you a card and mana, and probably the turn that you play it on. In fact, I'd, I'd argue this card will cost you the game if you're actually playing it. What are you talking about Gitaxian Probe? Gitaxian Probe is... You're saying Gitaxian Probe is playable. This is basically Gitaxian Probe, but it's gaining you life instead of losing you life. No. Gitaxian Probe didn't cost you mana. It didn't cost you a card. It cost you life. Yeah, but life doesn't matter. The the only life that matters is the very last one, Craig. You know that. (laughs) This is true. That's what happened against Daniel Game 3. But anyways... (laughs) No, it's... uh, Okay, we can just stop. Yeah. I think it's good if you can play it early, but otherwise. Like, if you can play turn three or turn two, but beyond that, it's just... No, 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 because you've got to look at the opportunity cost of it. Can like, what are you, what are you not playing because you played this? You're, instead of playing... What are you uh, playing? One, three, fire, or anything. No, you're not, you're not, you're of... not playing your Lee F. Sky Knight. It costs three. What are you playing as a two drop in Azorius? You're playing... Guild Crossway Mage? Courier. Okay, Guild Mage, right. Yeah, that's... I don't know. Now that I thought about it, I kind of like Search Warrant a little bit. No, 
just just a little bit. It is an early early game, early part of the game if you can play it. But otherwise, it's a waste of space because oh, you're you're doing. All the time. Oh, uh, I, I, I don't know. I can see myself running one off maybe next time I play. Just, just <sighs> maybe. I kind of want to try it. I'm a little bit endeared. Yeah. Oh, so easy to argue for, though. I mean, as I say, <laughs> it's it's like a taxi probe but it gains you life. No, no. <laughs> not like a taxi probe at all. <laughs> uh, right. Are we carrying on? We can. There seems to be quite a few bum cards in this set that I never noticed before. There, there really are. Um, like, okay, so like the ones people suggested were Shrieking Affliction, Chronic Flooding, Cersei City, World Spineworm. Two we haven't touched on yet is Rest in Peace and Urban Burgeoning. Mm-hmm. Should we just talk more generally about some of these cards? Like Rest in Peace. I think so, yeah. Um, so it's white, it's another enchantment, it costs two... When when this enters the battlefield, you exile all cards from all graveyards, and if a card or token will be put to a graveyard from anywhere, you exile it instead. So creatures cease dying when this is in play. Yeah. Um, That's one thing. So Runewing doesn't work anymore. Yep. Uh, scavenge is just ruined. Yep. But I mean, all these things are pretty narrow. It's, it's okay as a sideboard card if it's coming around late and you can put it in your sideboard and you can expect to play it. You know, if you can find a situation, but yeah. it's like, what are you taking out to put it in, you know? Yeah. I mean, it could go on the enchantment deck if you're playing Golgari, but that seems really narrow. Yeah, yeah. That's it. I mean, the, some of these cards just simply aren't intended for limited. Um, no. This is a kind of a standard kind of scalpel thing, isn't it? For uh, taking out... It takes out uh, the whole graveyard, doesn't it? Yeah, it takes out the graveyard. Yeah. It sorts out on dying and constructed. Yeah, so it's basically a standard thing. So, no, your Snapcaster mages aren't so good anymore. Yeah. And that's nice, you know. Um, Urban Burgeoning, one, enchant a land, you untap this land during each player's untap step. I don't know how terrible this is. I've never played with it, but I reckon it's got a place. Hmm. Possibly. I mean, if you're... Hmm. I think, yeah, I think so, because... If you think about Schlesinger and the sort of cards it plays, all, all its instant speed stuff is populate. So if you can play something in your turn, I suppose, and then you give yourself a little bit more mana to do your instant speed populate and turn your opponent's turn. Is that an argument for it? <laughs> I don't know if it is. It just, I, just, I mean, it's, this, <laughs> it, it's got a narrow use somewhere. Yeah. I mean... Now, at the beginning of the turn, it's untap, upkeep, and draw. Yeah. Now, during untap, you don't get priority, so there's no way to, like, tap and then see it instantly untap and tap it again. I was thinking, like, could you play this turn one and then somehow turn two, get three mana for something, but no, you can't. Yeah, no, because mana, of course, the pool faces anyway, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, because, yeah, you don't get, yeah. And, and plus the fact you can't play anything during untap, so, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I, I swear it's got somewhere to use, like, it can be used somewhere, but yeah. I haven't worked out where. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, I, I would say maybe try it in Slicing the Deck, but my biggest issue with these sort of cards is just have zero impact on the actual board. You're playing a card, and your opponent just sort of goes, alright, fair enough, crack on. You could you play know. it on a jewel land. Me? You could play it on a shock land if you're really desperate for it to untap. <laughs> yeah. Or, or a guild game, but I, uh, yeah. I swear, yeah. it can be used somewhere, I'm sure, but I just haven't Yeah, um, 
You can play it on your rogue. No, no, no rogue's passage doesn't work, does it? There might be a use. There might be a use for it later. You never know. We might get some sort of manland or. Uh, yeah, I mean, there's definitely cards in Return to Ravnica which are put in here with the whole Return to Ravnica, yeah. Gate Crash, Dragon's Maze in mind. Yeah. For sure. So if you can get some kind of value out of untapping a non-basic one, if it has some kind of ability that would be relevant, that you could maybe use it once or twice in your turn, yeah. that would definitely be the type of place then, but that's in the in the dreamland of maybe future. You know? Yeah. Right now, eh. Yeah. Uh, what else do you want to hit on? Oh, what about Epic Experiment? Uh, so, I've, I've never actually used Epic Experiment, but I kind of like it. Uh, what does it read again? It's... it's Genesis, for instance, and Sorceries, isn't it? Yeah, it's X blue and a red. You exile the top X cards of your library, and then for each instant or sorcery you convert a mana cost X or less, you can cast a card while paying its mana cost. So, yeah. yeah, you're right. It's Genesis Wave, for instance, and Sorceries, but how many are you playing, and how many actually do something which yeah. you wanted to do? Like, do you, like, if you cast a spell, or cancel, <laughs> yeah. then you have, the thing with playing those, I mean, Emily, you can stack them in the way you want, but if you're stacking them incorrectly, you're cancelling your own spells. Good on you. I can think of a good spot. I can think of a, a really, like, a, I can't remember the name of the guy. It's not Blister Coil Weird. The other guy that absorbs spells. Off Mega Elemental, yeah. Yeah, another rare right enough, but. <laughs> yeah. And I make him huge! Yeah, uh, every experiment is just. You're not, you don't have enough incident of sorceries, and not all of them are doing stuff. I mean, it's. I don't know, this is. This, there's another one that's kind of. Um, you could maybe even build around it. Just fill your deck up with the instance. And, uh. What's the guy? The volatile rig and stuff like that. Oh, we're in the fun of volatile rig, are we? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I like volatile rig. Well, that's all with volatile rig. It's one I hate, but you like it, don't you? Yeah, I love it. Yeah, it's um, a lot of. It's a what four four for four with trample. Has to attack each turn. If it's still damaged, you flip a coin, and if you lose it, you have to sacrifice it. And when it dies, you flip another coin. If you lose the flip, it deals four damage to each creature and each player. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's flavorsome. It's brilliant. And the thing is, like, the, uh, it's one of these things that your opponent has a real job having difficulty with. Because the only reason it's in play is because you chose to put it in play. So your board state can handle the four damage, or you know that your opponent can't. So if he's on a really small life total, he's, got, he's not going to really want to block it, but he's going to have to block it, and he's going to get the board wiped. And the fact is, you're playing, is it? So you're probably playing a high concentration of spells. You've not got as many creatures as him. He's playing a ton of centaurs or something. And, yeah, this has just got the potential of wiping him out by itself. And you can just keep keep attacking with it each turn and have a skeleton defense and uh, build your hand up. And meanwhile, your opponent's trying to deal with this monster that's stomping about. And it's just the random element's pretty cool as well. I, flips. I just think if I want to raff the board, I'd rather have a supreme verdict. Yeah, I know, but it works. But, but this, the volatile rig goes in any deck. True, but it's <laughs> random and it's inconsistent. And it, but you—it was you that put it there, Craig. It's it's not random and consistent. I'm not putting it there because I don't like random inconsistent. It's a calculated risk. You've got a, what twenty-five percent chance of that going off. Uh, well, 50, 50% chance. 50% 25 chance. I mean, 
It's fifty percent of when it dies. It's fifty percent oh, yeah. if it's dealt damage, it could die. Yeah. But if it's blocked by a four by four power thing, then it's just dead, and then it's fifty percent. But no, I just don't like it. I just I, I if I want a wrath, I'll play Supreme Verdict. Nah, no, nah, it's, it's not. It's not for the wrath, Craig. It's for the awkward position you put your opponent in. Watching him squirm as he's like, ah, well, okay, I have to deal with that, but it's... I don't want to kill all my guys. It's not that like, awkward. You're rested. You hover barrier it. You. <laughs> I don't know. It's just ah uh, no. Uh, of course, you can ping it yourself if you want. Statcaster, boo. As I say, if I wanted a wrath, <laughs> playing supreme verdict, it, it just keeps coming back to that. This is this is another one that's going in my commander deck. <laughs> Let's not talk about your commander deck, a because we're not. This is not a commander podcast, and b I know, I know, it's an abomination. Yeah, it's cool. Um, what else could we hit on? Fireman's Foresight. Yeah. It, it, it tutors for uh, instant or sorcery with CMC1, CMC2, and CMC3. Really, are you wanting to spend seven mana to find these cheap spells? Do you have them in your uh, library still? Well, what's the very best thing you could get with it? What's the very best... Like, say you're playing, is it? Mm-hmm. Blue, red, the very best one mana instant spell. Is it this spell? No. Or Nism skin? It's going to be. Oh, no, it's going to be. Um, street Spasm. Oh! Street, street Spasm, yes. Okay, so, yeah. If you want to think positive, I'd say Street Spasm, Mizium Mortars. I don't know what for three, but. Oh, even, even Annihilating Fire? Annihilating Fire? There you go. Like, yeah, I mean, I wouldn't make those three cards. I wouldn't, but that then requires you to have them still in your library, and you've got to have drafted them, and you're spending seven mana. Yeah, but I mean, we're, we're talking like the best possible situation here, and so the best possible situation is you, you've picked this start, and, you, and you're now building your deck with it in mind, so you're picking up cards thinking, well, no, and, and you could have like two or three different targets. So, okay, Mission Mortars is the very, very best card you could have mm-hmm. for the two drop, but there's other stuff at two. Let's have a look. There's a charm. Yeah, charms. I'm, I'm, not deni- I'm not denying in an optimal situation it's pretty cool, but I just don't think you're ever there and... Yeah. I mean, like, in your win conditions, is it, are things like Buster Squall and uh, Teleportal and things? And, you know, if it gets you to your win condition, then it's got to be all right. As long as you're, you're putting the kind of control deck that can can use it. True. Yeah, I suppose it's not absolutely terrible, but it just... Yeah. It just seems expensive. You're you're spending an entire turn just tutoring them. It's not like you're being able to cast them. I mean, if I had a choice between Fireman's... Uh, I don't know. Epic Experiment for five? Or Fireman's Foresight? Uh, fi- yeah. I don't think you're playing either, are you, really? Like, if it comes to your second pack, you're just shipping it. But it is one that you'll kind of go, hmm, I could maybe try... Ah, oh, nah. <laughs> you know? No, I, I think if you've got a bit of a dodgy deck and you're trying to look for gaps and you've picked one up because nobody takes them early, then maybe, but I don't know. Nah, I think it's the other way around. I think if you, if you can pick them up early and build your deck with it in mind, then it's not such a construction. I'd rather have Fireman's Foresight over Epic Experiment in that case. But, like, uh, try to jam it in a deck that doesn't necessarily have the pieces for it. It's not going to work, buddy. Alright, final card. Dead simple. It costs green, it costs white, and it gains you seven life. Heroes Reunion. I thought you were going to say Angel's Mercy. Oh, was he, yeah, he did say Angel's Mercy, but it was called again. Well, I mean, <laughs> it's Angel's Mercy by a different name and different colours and super yeah. But anyways, yeah. Yeah. You gain seven life, it only costs you two mana, seems like a deal. Not really. Nah. 
because um, it's a card. It doesn't sort the situation you're in that you need to gain the life. If you don't yeah. need the life, then it's not doing anything at all. And yeah, it's, it's what we're talking about before. It has absolutely zero impact on the board. Mm-hmm. It does nothing. Your point is, oh, you gain life, fair enough. I'll just hit you again, shall I? You know? Yeah. Right, I think we're done here. I think we've potentially yeah. exhausted that mire of rubbish yeah. cards. Oh, my word. Well, it's nice to say I'm not joining the debate club any time soon, Craig. No, I, 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 I never. The debate club at my university was called Debater. I mean, I was, I was a teenager when I started. I've got a childish mind. It's pretty easy to add something <laughs> at the beginning of that and find it really insulting. <laughs> Anyways, uh, moving away from the group topic. Right, so if you remember back in episode five, and I also mentioned again last episode, um, I have been working on a custom set, although admittedly I haven't actually been working on it since episode 5 for um, other reasons. But one thing I was asking for was if anybody could come up with a cool mechanic uh, for my set, because um, I talked about transfer, and I was, but that wasn't flashy enough. I was looking for something flashy in the set. Now, unfortunately, we didn't really get many entries. In fact, we got the one, and it was sort of a pseudo-entry, but... I'll read it out. It was posted anonymously up on our um, Tumblr page. So, the suggestion was, uh, you could have expensive creatures that have entered the battlefield effects, like drawing cards, but you can play them as enchantments for a reduced cost. This way, they interact with transfer, and that they are transfer that they are transferred... Wait, is that good English? I don't know. This way, they can interact with transfer, and that, if they are transferred, right, the opponent would get the enter the battlefield effect also. So it's like swapping a body with a positive for a cantrip-esque effect. So my thoughts with this were that the only way you can really do this is if you make a creature also an enchantment. So like the Lucid uh, Limited from Future Sight, which was an enchantment creature. But you can actually... It wasn't an aura, so it didn't attach or anything. But yeah, it's complicated. Like trying to make enchantment creatures work, I can't really see it working any other way. So I'm going to look into enchantment creatures, or something I was considering for my set at any rate. But I'll get back to you on how this works. But saying I didn't really get much entries, I don't know how much how interested people were in my set. So I may just keep that on the back burner until someone asks again. So <laughs> yeah, right. Let's close the show. Yay! Thank Thank you. you. <laughs> Well, we, we, we could, I mean, there, there's certainly more cars we could talk about if you want to go back. Oh, no. Yeah. Yay, we're finished. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you, for everyone, for uh, listening, both in general and through that Meyer terrible cards and trying to pretend they were good. They're so bad, don't play them. Uh, if you want to get in touch with us, you can do so via Tumblr, via Facebook, via Gmail, and via Twitter. Your hosts for this week were me, Craig, and you, Steve. That's me! The intro and outro music is by Kevin McLeod. The name of the song is The Cannery, and it is a free music license under Creative Commons by Tributation 3.0. Um, so one thing I was going to mention, because we're recording on Saturday, and our next show will be recorded on Wednesday, that's a period of four days. Yep. And I don't know about you, but I'm not playing any magic between now and then. Might squeeze one in online, you don't know. 
So I was going to say that the next show may be a bit shorter, or we could just freeform the show and do something a bit different. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and there's going to be less news because some few days have passed. So we could just do something different for next show, or it may just be a bit shorter. Do you know what I think we should do? I think we should get Dan on and have a Let's Speak to Dan episode. Because we talk about him that much. We need to get him on the show so people actually know who we're talking about. A resident sp- spawny. <laughs> yeah. 